You're about to listen to an interview for EWS, intending to provide educational information from various domains in psychology, physical exercise or motor learning, and experienced professional joins in a conversation with our founder, assisting EWS mission of building a mindset and methodology that can optimize both sport performance and mental health. Enjoy, and for that, I leave you with your host, Gonçalo Marques. Hi there, dear listener. Thank you for joining in today's interview for Efficiently Work Sport. On this one, me and my guest go over things like how to efficiently relate with fear, how to better face failure, how to propel oneself into success when in front of adversity in sports situations, and some other stuff including personal stories and backing it up with examples coming from the science world. All this while emphasizing a main aspect, the growth mindset. And for that, I believe our guest fits just like a glove. He is the principal man behind the Learner Lab project. To anyone interested to improve their skills in any area and grab some relevant knowledge to enhance their mindset, it is a very viable way to go. And this may seem too broad or sketchy just to sell it, but far from it. This is, for me, a reputable online place with in-depth articles, videos, references to science, and bites of interviews with experts with hand-picked information that can excellently serve a person in a path of mastery. He doesn't sell anything there, neither there are annoying calls to action, He just positions himself as a guy to go for presenting workshops or providing consulting services. As they tell there, he works just to present the principles for better learning. No fluff, no hype, just concrete, understandable and usable tools. And indeed, he has reliable testimonials pointing to his excellence in selecting what is most appropriate for the public at hand and what is most useful for the time being with an admirable skill of integrating and delivering information that is, in some of the worlds by some top researchers, spot-on and absolutely brilliant. These workshops are assigned to be included in college programs, companies, sports teams and other conferences. As for my testimonial, I shouldn't go without referencing his YouTube channel, to which I leave the link in the description where he uploads very concise educational videos around those topics that we will address today. They are very pleasant to see and listen to, as this guy combines a team with tremendous skills to turn those well-structured and animated videos both professional and captivating in a wider range. I think this goes congruent with his aim of producing content that is fun, engaging and beneficial to the viewers and listeners, Listeners, because he also hosts a podcast with his partner Alex Belser, depicting interesting conversations and references around those same topics that they, and me, find as keys to develop one's skills and character. He was a college basketball player and coach, and further developed a basketball school program to kids. Moreover, he was co-founder, director of operations, and head chef of Sabi Sushi, the now leading and major restaurant chain of sushi in Norway. And for what is contained on what I laid out here about him and his work, I quickly felt his passion for bringing out the best from any individual and assisting them with the tools for learning how to learn more efficiently. I've identified myself with the kind of stuff he was involved and transmitting, 
so I readily reached out to him in the beginnings of EWS by email, inviting him for an interview. And, to my amazement, he just replied, Sounds great, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks to that, we're here today with the man that has worked with students of all ages, Olympic athletes, Fortune 500 companies, and even with prisoners, Trevor Reagan. Hi, how's it going? Really great. <laughs> A pleasure to have you here today. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah. May you start speaking about uh, these basketball practice and coach times? Maybe some add something about yourself too? Yes. So I grew up playing basketball. That was like my favorite thing. And um, I, try, I tried out to play at Duke and didn't quite make the actual team. So I was on the practice squad But I got to go to all the games and it's one of the best basketball programs in the States. And so I, I learned a lot there. And while I was still in college in the summers, I started these basketball programs where I was taking the stuff I was learning at Duke, this like great program, and then teaching it to uh, kids in my hometown. And so I started this basketball program and I was doing it every summer and it started to grow. And as it was growing, I realized like, wow, like yeah, there's a lot of things I learned at college that are making this a better basketball program. But I started to look like outside of the sports world. Um, I ran into a really interesting volleyball coach and he was teaching me a lot about the science of like better ways to structure a practice. And then he told me to read this book about growth mindset. And then I, I started like learning all these things and incorporating it into the basketball camps. And it turned this program into like something really, really interesting. The, the students and parents, the basketball players really, really liked it and they were getting so much from it. So then I started a blog uh, just online, just sharing what we were doing. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't think people would really read it other than the people coming to the basketball camp. Um, I was wrong. So like all sorts of people started reading these posts about what I was learning and how we were using it. And that kind of blew up into what we now call the Learner Lab. The original name of the, this basketball program was like Train Ugly. It was like about yeah. practicing in a more, yeah, struggling more while we practice to make it better. So we started Train Ugly. We started blogging this stuff out. And then people from outside of the sports world started inviting me in to like present this stuff to their companies, to their schools. Um, so it all just kind of snowballed, but it started with a basketball camp, which is really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, Train Ugly, Learner Lab. We'll go to those principles later on on the interview. Yep. And uh, may I recall a video of yours talking about growth mindset? And I love a part there where you jeopardize in a little parody guys who market themselves through their comfort zone crushers and the elimination of fear kind of right. programs. So <laughs> with that being said, can you lay out some of your current work? Yeah. So the way we look at the work we do and the content we create is like the big overarching thing that we're chasing is how can people become better learners? A few things we know for sure is we can become better learners. It's a skill. So like getting good at that skill is very important because if you and I become better learners, that's like the ultimate skill because you could trade that in for additional skills. And so, okay, now the question is like, well, how do you become a, a better learner? Um, I think one piece of the equation is 
being more intentional about our learning and spending time, more time in the learning zone, more time struggling, more time practicing. Well, then the question is like, well, why don't we do that? And that kind of takes us into like this research around fear. It's like, well, we don't like to struggle. We don't really like to practice. We don't really like to mess up. And so then we present some tools of like, okay, how do we work to overcome that fear? What does that look like? Another reason we might not uh, engage in learning behaviors is they call it like having a fixed mindset where we don't believe we could learn a particular thing. Okay, so that's another enemy of learning, which takes us to the research of growth mindset, which is rather than this limiting belief that I can't learn something, how do we build a foundation where I actually believe in my capacity to grow? So now we're, we're trying to engage in learning behaviors, and here are two tools to help us do that. Build growth mindset, understand fear. And so the way we teach now is it's like every principle we touch on is related to the other, and they're all helping us spend more time learning. Um, and I think that's like a good way to look at our content. Yeah, and including that part of intentionality. And that makes a very good contrast with uh, what is sometimes observed of uh, having a, an expectation that things will get easier and yeah. uh, somehow we will get uh, some revelatory moment versus that facing of discomfort. Yeah, We have to step in and build big, brick by brick sometimes, yeah. many yeah. times, it's, most of the so times, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> real, real learning is slow and real learning is messy and it's very important to make sure people understand that. Some people try to make it seem like, yeah, this is the quick fix and it's really easy to do. It's like, nope, it's not. It's hard and slow. But And, and it's like, yourself. right. And so just like we would build a muscle, like that takes patience and struggle and time. The same rules apply to changing our brain and building new skills. And so it's important to remember in this conversation today, Yes, we can simplify principles. It doesn't mean it's always easy to do, but they are simple principles. It's a tough journey to go on, but I think going on the journey is really important. Yeah, that's where it enters the concept of training ugly. You can yeah. develop some more about that. Sure. So training ugly is just understanding that struggle is a key ingredient for any growth, whether it's a muscle or a skill. Now, there's a right amount of struggle. It's it's just like when you work out, you could add too much weight. I'm struggling too much and I will not change. Same rules apply to learning. Like we could make something so hard that involves so much struggle that I won't really change. So it's like finding that kind of sweet spot where I'm struggling the right amount and I have to get there in order to grow. Um, I think, again, we can We can all understand that when it comes to working out. Like, yeah, if you did a workout and I did a workout and you used weights and I didn't, you're going to get more from that. It'll be harder for you, but better for you. Now we have to use the same approach to learning. It's like, yeah, we can practice something a lot of times, but if it doesn't involve some struggle in there, those reps or that action isn't going to be as, as useful as it could be. Uh, an example would be, let's say you and I, wanted to get better at public speaking. Like, okay, we could do some practice rounds in front of nobody, but after a while, we need to be giving talks in front of people. Those, it's like, we're still doing it a lot, but when mm -hmm. I'm doing it in front of people, there's a little more struggle. 
that is actually going to be better practice for me than continuing to do it just in front of nobody. And so that struggle ingredient is a key part of growth. And so that phrase that we invented training ugly is basically saying, while I'm practicing, I'm finding ways to struggle on purpose because I know that helps me grow. And I'm not being reckless. I'm not like being out of control, but I'm struggling the right amount. And I'm willing to do that because I know that will help me grow and learn more. So that's what yeah. training ugly is. Yeah, I love that. And that struggling in the right amount struck with me because mm -hmm. it implies that we don't go too over what is difficult for us because probably we will not ingrain what is needed to improve in that skill. For example, I was recalling some f soccer exercises, mm -hmm. uh, maybe for a defender. If we want to improve our disarming technique, we may go, we may need to go on a drill with a very skilled forward, a very skillful dribbler and be passed by and mm -hmm. be ashamed sometimes, but collecting mm -hmm. those moments where I can correct and I can maybe yeah. time better the disarm technique. But the point here is to be open to, to those discomfortable times. Yeah. Yeah. So the, another way we think about all this stuff um, when we talk about learning. So one idea is like, yes, we need to train ugly, struggle on purpose. Another way that kind of looks at a similar idea, we we talk about like two tigers, the one tiger that lives in a zoo and one tiger that lives in the jungle. So obviously those are two very different environments. Like one, the jungle is way more difficult than the zoo. Uh, in the jungle, we're going to struggle more than in the zoo. Now, the interesting thing would be, and you could ask literally anyone this, Out of those two tigers, if each spends its whole life in that environment, which tiger will learn more? Well, of course, the jungle tiger will. Now, that seems simple, but the cool idea when it comes to learning is we get to choose which tiger to be all the time. So when it, whenever we choose to get out of the comfort zone and choose to struggle, we're being the jungle tiger. Whenever we choose to avoid the struggle or stay in the comfort zone, we're kind of choosing to be the zoo tiger. And if the goal is to grow, what we encourage people to do is find ways to jungle tiger more. If you take this to the sports world, a good way to think about it would be when we play in the game, when we're actually competing and it matters, that's like the jungle. It's chaotic. It's random. There's so many different things can happen. No two games are the same. If we want to be able to thrive in that chaotic environment, the jungle, the wild, we have to practice like that. Like the jungle tiger learns to survive in the wild by spending time there. So you could say the same rules apply if we're trying to develop better athletes. Like I can't practice in the zoo and then expect to perform in the jungle. That's ridiculous. If I want to be prepared for the game, I have to incorporate some of those game elements into my practice. So I'm essentially practicing in the jungle so I can perform in the jungle. That's like a maybe even an easier way to think about some of this uh, learning research. Yeah, yeah. It's a great metaphor you came. And it is also available on, your, on that video on growth mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to wrapping up this part, maybe a challenge for you. How would you describe growth mindset in a minute? And what do you think are the essential parts? What dovetails better the concept? So a lot of people are talking about growth mindset right now, which is good. But sometimes we're missing what the core actually is. The core of a true growth mindset, it's the belief that I can grow. 
Now this works in big and small ways. This could be a big belief. Like I believe I can learn stuff that would be very big and broad, but then a smaller one would be, I believe I can learn this new technique in a particular sport. And so like the growth mindset is when I believe I can learn the thing, I'm operating from a growth mindset. The opposite is a fixed mindset. I can't learn that thing. I can't learn that skill. The reason it matters is because that belief can either fuel our action. When I believe I can learn the new technique, I'm more likely to practice the technique. And it's the action that determines whether or not I learn, but it's this belief that can fuel that action. On the flip side, if I don't believe I can learn the new technique, I'm probably not going to practice it very much. And if I don't practice it very much, I'm not going to learn it. So in that case, it's that limiting belief is like impeding the action, not fueling the action. So this is why I say mindsets are a key piece of the learning equation because it can either encourage more action or stop the action. And it's the action that's going to determine whether or not we learn something. Yeah, another two terms very similar to that you just said is approaching and avoiding the stuff. And maybe an important way to think about this is what is involved in the fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. Why people have that? How it, uh, the, does that appear? Because many times people just think they don't have what it takes to get better. They don't born with the skills But sure. it can serve another functions that is to avoid being in face of failure, having his ego compromised. Sure. So there's a lot of places that a fixed mindset could pop up from. So one could be when I'm younger, it's stuff that people tell me. Like my maybe my parent could tell me, oh, you're not a math person. And if I hear that enough, I might start to believe it. And like, I, I believe that. And then what happens is, I, I don't really practice that skill very much. And then this belief sort of becomes true. It's like, I believe I'm not good at math. I don't practice math very much. And then I see the results. It's like, oh, I'm not good at math. I was right. And, and so sometimes we pick up on these things when we're younger and they can be reinforced as we grow older because they sort of become true. And that's like the trap of the fixed mindset is if you don't believe you could learn something, you're going to end up being right. So then you're like, yeah, I was right. I can't learn. It's like, no, you just didn't practice. The other thing that can maybe cause a temporary fixed mindset is if we're trying something a bunch of times and it's not working, I might come to the conclusion that I can't learn this. Uh, like say I'm, I'm trying this particular diet and I've tried it for a month, but I don't see any results. I might come to this conclusion of like, I can't get in better shape. But in that scenario, it's not like, oh, I, I can't get in better shape. It's just I'm probably using the wrong diet. I should try a different one. And so uh, a fixed mindset can come from the outside, which is people telling us about what we can't learn, can't do. But it can also come from sort of failing at something and then assuming I can't learn this. Uh, the research across the board, if you look at growth mindset, but even deeper, the research around like neuroplasticity, it's fairly clear that of course, we're all not going to be the best at everything or be experts at every skill. But for the most part, pretty much anyone can get better at a particular skill if we practice enough in the right way, which is like the direct opposite of this fixed mindset of like, oh, I wasn't born with this. It's like, yeah, maybe some someone was born a little bit better at this than you, but you could certainly get better at it. Yeah. That premise is key one. The, mm -hmm. We can improve. Yep. And um, many times people see that 
they have tried, but many times, and this is not to be seen in a deleterious manner, we are blind to what is possible. Yep. We we didn't try sufficient tools, we didn't try sufficient yep. ways, and it is it's important yep. to have feedback, not only from our body, but also from the outside, from people that know uh, about nutrition, as you are talking about diets. And exactly. um, yeah. Right. And I have uh, an excellent example to ramp that up, contrasting fixed versus growth mindset, which comes from a sport that I love. It's called Fresh Cobalt. I don't know if you know Beach Rackets. Mm-hmm. I, I've probably seen it before. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I love that because of many reasons. I love its philosophies. And one that I want to bring in is when I am playing with a less experienced player. And many times that, okay, first, this sport consists in bringing the ball back and forth between two people. Mm -hmm. And the main objective is to not letting that ball fall Mm -hmm. and playing it with more speed to have more emotion, get Mm -hmm. more thrilled. The the most skillful play is the one that the ball goes fast and we hit it in various ways. So coming back to the example, when I'm playing with a player that is less experienced, many times that player don't want to play because he will be ashamed. Mm-hmm. The ball will go on the ground and it will be a failure and uh, he get more tense. Mm-hmm. But I always tell to them, the most certain thing in a play is the ball will go to the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, I am fine to play with you. I am fine to engage in your process of growth. I am fine to catch the balls as needed and keep that arm up. Mm -hmm. I like that attitude of keeping the arm up because many times when the ball goes on the ground, we can select or (laughs) a thought can emerge automatically of, okay, I can't make it this is proof i can't play this versus okay the ball went to the ground but it's it's an opportunity for me to know one more manner how it doesn't work right and to make further corrections and adjustments yeah jump in on that it's perfect there's no way to learn something without a bit of struggle yet it's like and i know that seems simple and uh, most of us understand that but we have to put that into practice So like a big part of what we teach is just like, we have to change our relationship with struggle. Like so many times, and I've done exactly that where I'm trying something and then I struggle and I go, oh, I guess I can't do this. It's like, no, that's like, you're moving (laughs) through this process. You cannot skip that. And it could be, that goes for big and small skills. Like even teaching like a young kid, like a magic trick. It's like, you're not going to do it perfectly at the start. You're going to struggle but there's no way to get good at something unless you're willing to struggle. You can't get good at cooking unless you burn some stuff and mess up. But it's like the price of admission that you must pay. You're never going to be good at cooking unless you're willing to mess up some dishes. And if we're not willing to mess up some dishes, we're never going to get as good as we could be. And that goes for any skill. And so maybe like one big piece of this equation is just, we have to just adjust the way we think about struggle. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. It's just a part of any growth process. It's like a necessary part of it. We learn because of the struggle. It's not despite of the struggle. And even going beyond that, and this might seem extreme if people just joined in now, but probably quote unquote failures are a good sign, are a sign that we can 
improve. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. And I, I uh, by the way, sorry, I was uh, reviewing a video from Kobe Bryant today on a small interview he gave. Be this because I published an episode on him on his quotes, and he was bluntly saying that failure doesn't exist. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it's like it's tough because in a way we're kind of battling human nature which like look no matter how many times we say it it's not necessarily fun to struggle and that's not what we're saying we're just saying you have to be willing to do it it's just like if i'm working out and i'm doing like 12 repetitions those last three are hard and it hurts a little and there's no way to make it not hurt but i know that's how i grow and then so learning is the same it's not fun to be playing that sport and then the ball drops but we can learn that that's okay. So we're not telling people to like necessarily love making mistakes or love the struggle because we're humans and we're just not going to, but we can appreciate their value and that's what we're after. It's not it's not fun to struggle just like it's not fun to do the 15th squat, but there's value in it and we can learn to appreciate the value. Yeah, yeah. And many times that human nature you were recalling Yeah, we are very attuned to the negative things mo more than the positive things. And many times, again, on the Fresco ball example, people just fixate on that dropping of the ball, forgetting that they maybe got a hundred shots well. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And then we're and we're so concerned about like what people think about us, and oftentimes we're making up a lot of things. Uh, in our own head about it and and that it, it is normal it's normal to do that that's human nature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and it's an important piece to validate that of course part. and i think that's that's what i like most about like the way you're approaching your project is i think so many people in the sports and learning world we're trying to squash human nature mm -hmm. and that is almost impossible the better way is to kind of work with it it's like Look, we're never going to be fearless. And so people going around telling people, you don't be afraid. You have to be fearless. It's like, that's ridiculous. It sounds good, but you can't really do it. And if you look into the research, the better approach is not suppressing stress and fear. It's reappraising it and accepting it and understanding that it's human and okay to feel that. Like that is a actually better way to deal with fear versus telling people to get rid of it, which can't really be done. And so I love like your background of this like psychotherapy mixed with sports because in psychotherapy, they know like these emotions, this pain, like it's hard to suppress those things. In fact, it's foolish to suppress those things. It's better to understand and accept them. And when we teach that to athletes, I think it can make a big difference. Yeah, love that. It rings a bell here because, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's the first step. So yeah. to validate and accept what one is feeling, what one is interpreting of, of the event. Mm -hmm. And even further than that, being able to reappraise, as you were saying. Right. And that can play a, an important role to unlock some things. Right. And like, like you said, a powerful first step is just the willingness to accept that it's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to be afraid. Like if even if people listening just did that, that can make a big difference. And then you can get into the reappraisal stuff. So what you said is absolutely correct. And when we work with people, the first step is just so many times in our life, we're presented a challenge, which could be a great learning opportunity, but we feel uncomfortable about it. We feel some fear. And because we look at fear as a negative thing, we assume like, oh, 
I better not do this. But if we can just adjust it and realize fear is human, that we're always going to feel a bit of fear when we get out of the comfort zone. When we go from the zoo to the jungle, we're going to feel something. And feeling something doesn't mean that you're not prepared and it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just means you're a human. And so yeah. that to me is so powerful, helping people understand like this is part of it. Yeah. And from there is the beginning of the transformation from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. It's the transformation from a defeatist trend of, uh, okay, I'm not mm -hmm. good enough. I, I will not improve on this. Maybe I will put the racket down and not play anymore right. to that part of being glad that the error happened and we mm -hmm. can learn from that. Yep. And it's, it's an important aspect also to think of this as beginning with validation and then build up the muscles of courage. Absolutely. Not expecting that we can do things that are more easy and nothing mm -hmm. else more, but yeah, yep. be able to confront those art challenge in a, in a proper way. And I like how you said that. So what you said right there is brilliant. So the topics that we're touching on aren't all necessarily growth mindset. Like growth mindset is the belief we could grow. Now we're talking about sort of accepting fear or reappraising fear. That's a different topic, but a growth mindset can help us in that. And that's like really important for people to understand. So like mm -hmm. reappraising fear and understanding that it's okay, having a growth mindset is going to help me do that more often. And so it's showing how these two topics actually play off one another and work together. Absolutely. Um, they're two different things, but they, they help one another, which is like that. That's exciting to me when you can find those intersections of research yeah. where this can help this and understanding this can even help that like. That's really, yeah. really good. Although growth mindset has a part in the mistakes. So a growth mindset oriented person will see mistakes as part of the process, as a sign that I am in a path of learning versus mm -hmm. the one that is fixed, that mm -hmm. sees mistakes as proof that they are not worthy to that. And you, you can even go a layer underneath that and say, when I'm making mistakes in a growth mindset, I realize I am not stuck here. Like I can, I can figure a way around this. I will grow from this. Exactly. In a fixed mindset, sometimes it's not only do I don't want to make mistakes, the next layer underneath that is like, if I'm making mistakes, it must mean I can't do this and I'm stuck here. And so that's like another good way to look at growth, a fixed mindset. Growth mindset is I am not stuck. Fixed mindset is I am stuck. And that is for big and small things. And that's just showing how important that belief is in any learning journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the longest post you have on the Learner Lab, you talk about resilience. The first thing that appears there is also a thing that I smile too much because it appears on a post that we have on failure is good. Mm. And um, you recall there, You refer to an idea of Martin Seligman, a renowned positive psychologist, former APA president, mm -hmm. on the three P's, personalization, pervasiveness, mm -hmm. and permanence. Right. Can you guide us by presenting these and telling how these relate to failure that we're talking about and resilience? Sure. So like resilience, there's a lot that you could talk about there, but the, the way we think about it is when we talk about resilience, it's not just bouncing back from a challenge. It's actually learning as much as we can from a challenge. 
And an interesting way to look at resilience is like, well, what are the things that make us not be resilient? And that's kind of what his research shows. So uh, the three P's, it's personal, pervasive, permanence. Personal is we believe that this setback is all our fault. Like this happened. It's all because of me. I'm a failure. Pervasive means this will affect all areas of my life. And permanence means this will never stop. Like this will never get better. And I think everyone listening, we we are all sliding into those all the time. Like, again, that's human. That's normal. But the idea is like, okay, how or what tools could we build to avoid sliding into the three Ps? Well, think about the permanence one. That is showing us how growth mindset can help in resilience. Because, again, the growth mindset, what we just talked about, is the deep, deep underpinning would be I'm not stuck and if the, if I believe I'm not stuck, then it's hard to fall into that permanence P. Now, it's not to say that if we face a setback and get knocked down, it's not an overnight thing where we're back in the game. But just believing that we're not stuck, that can help a lot in the in this process of becoming more resilient. Yeah. And, that, and for that permanence part, we should include that clever and elegant way you put there on the post with some images mm-hmm. on the ideas of zooming in too much. And uh, the permanence is an image. Right. Yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. tell you the image. Right. And so what happens sometimes when we make a mistake or face a, or going through a setback or challenge, we call it like we get really zoomed into it. And a good way to think about like getting too far zoomed in, let's say the problem that we're facing is a, a boulder, uh, a rock. If we're looking at this boulder through a telescope, we're really zoomed into it and it's going to look really huge through this, like through my like eyes. And when we're so zoomed in, it exaggerates the size. If we exaggerate the size, it's hard to see a way around it. And so it's like, that's kind of where we get into permanence, pervasive. It's like, wow, I this is so big that I can't work my way around it. And so the antidote... That, that, that way... That idea of the rock is yeah the personal thing. Sure. Oh yeah, and and because when you zoom in, it looks like oh this is all my fault as well. And so zooming in is a good way to fall into all of the P's. Like each one, you could kind of get there if you zoom in too much. Now the tricky thing is okay if zooming in isn't what we want, zooming out sounds like the best approach. But sometimes we zoom out too much. And when we zoom out too much, it's sort of this like, nothing really matters. We're just specks of dust in the universe. It's no big deal. It's like, wow, I think we overzoomed there. And so what we tell people is there's no science to like how far to zoom in or out. But you want to zoom out enough that you could see the problem for what it actually is. We're not exaggerating the size, but we're also not minimizing the size. So I just want to look at this rock not through a telescope and not too far zoomed out. I just want to look at the rock. And when we look at the actual rock, we can see like, okay, this is a tough challenge. This is a tough problem, but I think I can work my way through this. It might take some time. I'm not stuck here. Maybe I did play a role in this, but I, it's not completely my fault. Like maybe there was just some bad luck involved or other parties involved. And so I'm just trying to be objective about well, what is the actual problem? What role did I play? How big is it actually? And when we get rid of the telescope and we're just kind of zoomed properly, I think we're better at doing that. It's easy to talk about, but it's hard to do. Um, yeah, of course. 
but it's a skill. There are so many variables around us, but uh, we kind of have uh, an overview of the situation. We right. don't focus too much or too little on the problem. We gather the information from the situation. Yes. And uh, it, it brings uh, realism into the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, resuming on that, we have the rock. When we zoom too far in, we get the sense that it is pervasive, <laughs> that we see a rock everywhere in all areas of our lives. Yeah. Then we have the image of a painting. When we zoom too far in, we only may see red when there are another colors so mm -hmm. it's not about us it's not a, it's not our fault that we cannot make that shot that well we made some other shots that we are not remembering them mm -hmm. and then we have the third image that relates to permanence yeah. uh, the time aspect when where you have uh, some ups and lows and zooming too in the person will just seeing that is getting uh worse because it, it's like yeah. the graph right like Our yeah. life is, it, it, because if you look at one sliver of a graph, it's like whether it's going up or down, we assume like, yep, everything's going to be good or everything is bad. But when you zoom out yeah. enough, it's like a stock ticker, right? Like you could zoom so far in that you could make it seem like, oh, this is the worst stock ever. But if you zoom out, you yeah. see like, oh, wow, over time it's going up. So again, it's yeah, this yeah, importance yeah. of zooming out for perspective to look at the situation for and what it actually is. And see the real trend that you can create from. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we can talk about this in another language also. I was recalling Albert Elish, the father of cognitive behavior therapy. Yep. The, he talks about overgeneralization, which is one of uh, uh, some major cognitive distortions. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that part is key of having an overview, Absolutely. bringing some realistic view. Right. And I think the, the, the last piece of, res not the last piece of resilience, but another element of the resilience process, like zooming is super important. And so is like, if we go back to the reappraisal stuff, uh, we were talking about reappraising like our nerves or fear before an event. We can also learn mm -hmm. to like stop shaming ourselves for feeling emotions during a failure or during a setback. Because once again, we're human and like, no matter what we do, we're never going to squash that emotional response. Like it hurts to fall. And so many times we look at those, like those dark emotions, those tough emotions as negative things. So we're going through a setback and I feel sad or uh, like a bit embarrassed. And then I assume like, oh, I'm so weak because I'm feeling emotions. That's not a problem. Like feeling emotions means you're human. Natural. We don't really control the emotions very much, but we can control our actions. And the problem is when we assume that the feeling step is bad, usually we try to find ways to stop feeling, but the approach to stop feeling actually robs us of the opportunity to grow. Because yeah. like the way yeah. to stop feeling is to try to suppress it, to numb it, to flee from it, yeah. to offload it. It's like <laughs> all of those things are going to get in the way yeah. of growth. And so maybe one step of resilience is just the willingness to feel. And I know that's tough, but uh, that's something I'm learning about right now. It's like, I think very important. Yeah, the aspect you are talking, we are talking here about the validation, about embracing somehow, accepting, experiencing mm -hmm. it. It's a, it's a first step. And uh, I love that idea that is a major one in cognitive work that is we don't control what we feel, but we control how we respond to that. And yes. I love that idea, but often I, I see some kind of a risk in that, which is 
mm-hmm. a person can hear that and feel more empowered, but then go, okay, I can control what I will do next. But then over time, it cannot be for whatever reasons. And that's where psychotherapy may enter to get a better right. knowledge about oneself. But right. that part where one may get shame on himself because he's not being able to respond in a different way but mm-hmm. maybe it's part of the process maybe it's slower as you said in the beginning yeah. maybe you have right. to catch on to something right so the stuff that we're talking about here it's like th- we're not trying to replace therapy like if we're going through something difficult i i would recommend anyone that can go to therapy like i've been going for two years it's one of the best things that i've ever decided to do it's we can learn from some of their tactics and this can help us with maybe these not smaller challenges, but these different type of challenges that we face in sports. So like many of the tools that I've learned in therapy, they can help me with like small failures that I experience professionally. It's like, wow, mm. these tools aren't just for the really, really tough things we go through. It's like we should l- use these tools in everyday life. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And coming back with another example of Freshkobol, I'm sorry to stress No, good. This, it's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, recalling to my first times with it, I spent maybe 10 years playing in the summer with mm-hmm. just uh, my best friend. Mm-hmm. And we will go there just to have fun, just to laugh, just to be rough with the ball and hit it hard. And so there were times there that we are, were just blind. We don't have a name to go upon. And mm-hmm. then two years ago, very good players near I live mm-hmm. here in Lisbon and uh, playing with one of, of them, I was getting too nervous because mm. I was seeing him like the best guy in Portugal playing that. So I was feeling that I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, okay, nowadays I think I have a good attitude, more positive one and uh, my skill level is similar to those new guys. But I think this is a good way for you to step in and share some forms of concretely implement growth mindset, Mm -hmm. maybe by making some contrast with uh, one of these examples I've shared. Sure. So it's like, it's so tough because once again, we have to keep coming back to the point we made. Struggle is the key ingredient to growth. And so like, okay, I might be the best, but unless I'm willing to find ways to stretch out of the comfort zone and struggle, I'm going to stop there. And so one way around it is just to keep reminding people about the value of these of the struggle. The other approach I'd recommend is uh, going back to the like reappraising of the fear. It's just like, yeah, you're nervous. Yeah, you feel weird because you're a human. It's like, you shouldn't feel ashamed of that. The pro- what we, What we need to, the intervention is, We don't want that feeling to rob us of the opportunity to grow. If that's happening, then we got to like step in and try to fix it. We're not going to get rid of the feeling. We just don't want it to get in the way of growth. Because what's the alternative? Sorry, sorry to jump in. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is to not. (laughs) (laughs) Or or the person will will want to play with a less skillful player. Right. So the only way to not feel as nervous is to play someone worse but if you play someone worse, you're not going to grow. So it's like, okay, if the goal is to grow, one price of admission you have to pay is you're going to feel weird about it, but that's okay. And so like, I know it seems simple, but like that can help a lot where in the past it's like, oh, 
I'm nervous. That must mean I shouldn't do this versus I'm nervous. That means I'm a human that doesn't determine whether or not I can do this. And so like that small adjustment could help Mm -hmm. selling people on the value of struggle could help. Then the growth mindset piece comes in once again, growth mindset is I might be really good at this, but I can continue to get better. The only way I can get better is if I practice and stretch and struggle, and then maybe that could help. So like there's not one tool, but that's like using all three of these tools we've talked about that can help us maybe go play the person (laughs) because that's the whole goal. Like we just want to go play the person. If we do that, it's just like sometimes I don't feel like working out. There's not one tool that's going to nudge me to do it, but there's all sorts of things I could do. And as long as I go work out, great. Like that's all we needed to do. Um, And this would be the same. It's like there's this moment, whatever tool I need to use to get me to embrace the moment and do it, that's a win. And maybe it'll be a different tool next time. But that's why we lay out these tools. They're at our disposal and then we can try each one and whatever one gets us over the edge. Great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even moving away just a bit on the mental part, we can also focus on the technical aspects. That best friend of mine, the example that we've played, always the same way, always just uh, to have fun. And mm-hmm. Not that the fun went away nowadays because it's always in. I don't get very tough with myself on playing this because it's a passion. It's mm-hmm. what I play for intrinsic reasons. There's no competition there. But uh, recalling that first example, we didn't have a name. Mm. Maybe it's good for us to have a vision of the way we want to shoot, of, when, of right. where we want to shoot the ball. And right. this applies with any other sports. If yeah. you want to give an example on that. Sure. I mean, that's, that, that's a very important part of any skill development journey is we want that model to look at of like, all right, this is what I'm trying to get better at right now. And I know what it looks like and feels like. And there's a lot of ways to get that. Like we could watch and observe people. We could watch people online. And and so that's part of this idea of like better practice, uh, more deliberate practice, more intentional practice. So rather than I'm just playing and it's fun and yeah, I'm going to get some out of that. It's all right. During this session, I'm really going to focus on this. I'm still going to play and develop all the skills, but I'm really honed in on this. A lot of research shows that that's actually a better approach when I'm more intentional like that. And so that's kind of something in that video you watched. I think one of our videos anyways, we call it the action plan, which is like, all right, what is something you want to learn? Who is someone you could look to that could show you a good, uh, a, an effective way to do that, whether it's online or in person? How are you going to practice this skill so it's like you're in the jungle, not the zoo? So how are these reps going to involve struggle? And then the, the fourth layer is where can you get feedback? Who can help like provide feedback around this journey? And like those four things, there's a very simple things, but those are like four elements of better practice. And sort of an exercise we've been doing with, with groups is we take them through that action plan and we make everyone right. What is something you want to learn? Who could be a model? How can you practice? How could you get feedback? What happens is when you write that down, you're more likely to do it. And some of the sports teams we work with that have done that, like it's made a big impact on their learning environment where there was even a a, a football team, a college football team here where every two weeks they were doing this. And it was just so exciting for the players. Like every two weeks, they're focused on new skills and acquiring new skills. And I just think that can have a big impact on the individual 
and the learning environment as a whole. And, and this idea of having that concrete target might be like an, a very important first layer of that action plan I just talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not forgetting that the right amount of struggle of getting in the field is important because mm -hmm. we don't want to get reckless and go on and experiment with a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. that may be off the topic or that may be right. too hard. So we don't want to jungle tiger all the time in your vocabulary. Well, it's it's just we need to just be clear on what jungle tigering is. It's not just jump way out of the comfort zone and hope for the best. It's what area am I going to stretch today? That's jungle tigering. So like uh, I was just giving a workshop yesterday. I didn't go in and it was like a six hour workshop. I didn't invent six hours of new experiments to run. Like I wasn't like, okay, let's just see what happens. I wasn't reckless, but there were certain sections where I changed the order. There were certain sections where I added a new story. There were certain sections where I told it like a different story or even changed the way that I told the story. So I'm still putting my best foot forward, giving the six hour presentation to the best of my abilities. Still, there were these small jungle tiger moments and experiments that I could do. That's going to help me grow. So I, again, and I just have to be better when I explain jungle tiger. It's not just leap out there and hope for the best. It's, it's not that at all. It's like these small little moments, these small little choices where it would be way more comfortable if I did the workshop exactly the same every single time. It will never get better that way. The only way it can get better is to run these small experiments. Now, the cool thing about it, a small experiment, if it fails, it's not going to throw the whole workshop off the rails. It's not that big of a deal, but if it works, that's growth. And if I'm running these small experiments every time, for instance, someone at the workshop yesterday was at one of my workshops a year and a half ago. And she's like, wow, it's so much better. It's so much different. Like, this is just way better. Cool, but it's nice not because, Congrats. yeah, yeah. But it's not, be, it's not because on New Year's Eve, I deleted my workshop and made a new one. It's because every time I'm running small experiments and over time that adds up to a big change. Just to stop you there on that example, it signs a very great aspect of yours that is of paying attention of how you are impacting the audience. Maybe right. that is a sign of you getting to know how was the experience for them afterwards, maybe yep. getting some adjustments on what does, didn't work that well. And yep. again, you just found another way that it didn't work yeah. just as well as you've wanted. So And you've discovered another way. So this failure is a gain. Yeah, it's, it's everything we're talking about. But I think it's good because it shows... It's the small little experiments that we're constantly running like that. Those little jungle tiger moments add up over time. And so the same is true for athletes. It's like, yeah, if you're at practice or in a game, you don't have to try all sorts of new stuff. It's just like, well, what is one little thing you could try today and like keep stacking those up. And then over time, that's how we make a big change. Yeah, this involves a lot. This involves balance. This involves also proper rest, this involves feedback, which is an element of deliberate practice, all things that we can go over hours, uh, but <laughs> maybe for another occasion, and I will leave the, the links on the description for those things. For sure. For your website also. 
And uh, one of the last things I would like to address with you is, um, well, do you know who Alex Honnold is? Alex Honnold? Uh, I don't think so. Alex, how do you spell the last name? Honnold. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. The rock climbing guy. Uh, no. But did is he, is, is he the one they made the documentary about? Like the, yeah, the climbing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about him. I was amazed with that with that documentary. Also, mm -hmm. the great uh, the Dawn Wall. It brought me to tears. Mm -hmm. And to give a, a little context for the example I, I am bringing about him, in one of your videos, the one I, I refer in a rubric of EWS, the post of the week, by the way, mm. you, you quote from the book Peak from Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole. Mm. And they say, quote, the hallmark of purposeful or deliberate practice is that you try to do something you cannot do that takes you out of your comfort zone and that you practice it over and over again, focusing on exactly how you are doing it where you are falling short and how you can get better, end quote. And without, again, without extending too much on deliberate practice, I, I brought, I just brought this example to refer to Alex Arnold, hmm. where in a video in the Nobel Prize YouTube channel, he says that training for him and giving a little context for those who don't know him, he does a kind of climbing that is free solo. So he doesn't have any ropes to grab him and so if he slips most probably he will die so this is very extreme but training for him is all about going on a mountain on those walls trying to do what he supposedly can't do yet and this mm. to me gives me a chills it's astounding yeah. so i want to hear your comments on this also it's this this gives me chills too and the interesting thing about my job is I get to hang out with the scientists and learn from them. And then I get to meet incredible coaches and athletes, just incredible people. And the, the thing that I love is when an incredible person finds the science without knowing the science. It's like, and that's yeah. what that happened right there. It's like, it happened in this video. Sorry, he, he was yeah. talking with guys that were associated with Nobel, so very science guys. And right. uh, a, a woman said something somewhere along the video that he was touching upon those same exact concepts in science, yeah. and he didn't know right. about that. Yeah, that's it's so fun when that happens. It's like, uh, so a lot of people in like the art world or music, they discover reappraisal without knowing what reappraisal is. And they discover it because they're like, yeah, I am nervous every time I perform. But I realize being nervous doesn't mean I'm not prepared. It's like, yes, you're reappraising your fear. You're doing it. But they, they, they never read the studies. They never learned about the science, yet they figured it out. By the way, sorry. By the way, it's not a far-fetched way to do, to reappraise in that manner. Right. Because yeah. nervousness can be physiological, very identical to excitement. Yeah. And so they learned this strategy of reappraisal just because they were doing it a lot, which is awesome. And that the example that you just brought up, same thing. He's describing deliberate practice perfectly. He probably didn't sit down with Anders Ericsson and learn about deliberate practice, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the in-field experience with the mm -hmm. nature, those big walls and his body. Uh, just yeah. triggers something that is essential for 
growing and for him to be successful because maybe he's the best guy in the world on doing that. And and I think it's a good sign when through trial and error, yeah. someone finds an answer that is aligned with the science. That means there's some truth to it. It might not be the, the 100% truth, but there's some truth to it. So if he's out there trying new stuff and really trying to learn and find the best way to practice this incredible skill and he lands on that, it's like, okay, that's also where Robert Bjork landed in his research, in his studies, and they're landing on the same point. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And that point of what is out of one's reach should be the thing that one has mm -hmm. to reach for. Many times people are to that aspect also <laughs> right that's the jungle and zoo tiger it's like you have to be willing to go to the jungle that's out of the comfort zone that's out of our reach and you got to spend more time there that's all we're saying yeah. trevor to finish this up last question which is a hard one and i don't like it very much because it lacks some context but if you had a person ready to commit and enter in a path of mastery And you had to encapsulate in one or two minutes something to best serve her. Mm -hmm. What would be that message? More things are skills than we realize. So sometimes we just think of these small, like riding as a skill or riding a bike as a skill. But actually the research shows like friendliness is a skill. Leadership is a skill. Public speaking is a skill. Like the rule of thumb is if someone can get better at it, it is a skill, which means In a way, all the good stuff in life are skills. So step one is broaden our definition of what a skill is. And then the next thing I would really try to hammer home is if it's a skill, you can get better at it and you can get much better than you realize. Now that's going to require work. It's not free, but like if I only had one or two minutes, I would really try to convince people of those two things. More things are skills that we realize than if it's a skill, you can build it. And if people really accept those two things, I think we could be pretty dangerous. Like we can do a lot more than we realize. And that would be my starting point. And then from there, we would get into like, okay, what is the best type of practice? How do we reappraise fear? How do we build a growth mindset? But I would start there. I can build skills and I can get better than I think if I do the work. Yeah. So much it and very much related with that part of little things that can spill over in mm -hmm. other areas. Maybe a, a person is doing a composition English class, but mm -hmm. it's important for the communication right. aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we deliver those and I hope the listeners would be more able also to celebrate their ugliness in training. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor. I really much enjoyed this one. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this EWS interview. To see more, go to ewsport.eu. If you want to open up a discussion about some topic address, reach out by commenting below or leave a message at ewsport.eu. Hope you enjoyed. See you on the next one.